Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to watchnebula.com slash not overthinking with a little hyphen thing in between the not and the overthinking. So watchnebula.com slash not dash overthinking. Through Nebula, you'll firstly get access to all of our podcast episodes ad-free. Secondly, you'll see exclusive content from me and a load of other educational-ish creators. And thirdly, it directly supports this podcast. So you'll incentivize me and Tame to record more episodes. My name is Ali. I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor. I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Um, so this is very exciting. So this is episode three. Um, and we've recently, actually today, we found out we were featured on the iTunes new and noteworthy thing. Yeah, that was a really nice thing to wake up to. So uh, thanks for all your reviews and stuff. I'm sure that helps a lot. Yeah, most people have been giving five-star reviews, which is awesome. We had like we had two one-star reviews. Two? Yeah, th- there was one that actually left a comment. Yeah. And one that didn't leave a comment at all. What was that comment? It was like, oh, I thought this was a podcast about anxiety, but actually it's just these two rich kids talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, two rich boys chatting and then question mark, question mark, question mark. It was, it was quite a funny comment, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's kind of misleading because... Actually, when I told a lot of my friends about it, a lot of them thought, oh, yeah, I overthink things. So this will be really useful for me uh, <laughs> as if this will like, help people <laughs> stop overthinking. Yeah. And actually, uh, there's another podcast on, on the iTunes store called Not Overthinking It uh. that recently like started around the same time as we did. I think maybe a few weeks prior. And they do the thing of, of actually, you know, what, what it says on the tin, not overthinking stuff, Ah, okay, which yeah. is more kind of an anti-anxiety podcast. But this is absolutely not an anti-anxiety podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this will not help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're looking for a CBT or something, you can probably find it with a professionally trained podcast. Uh, provider of cognitive behavioral therapy anyway well well, what are we going to talk about this week so i have something i want to talk about it's not super fleshed out yet it's more of of an idea that that feels it feels like there's something there so it'll be great to hash this out so here it is i feel like in in lots of different social settings i think the 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 social setting itself kind of uh colors the interactions that we have right yeah um and so, like, you know, we have friends from all sorts of places, friends who are just, like, family friends, you know, like, cousins and stuff. And I'm sure a lot of us are, like, quite good friends with family family members. But we we probably accept that if we were just at school with them together, we probably wouldn't be that close. We're, we're basically just friends because we have to spend a lot of time with them through family things and that kind of stuff, right? Sure. And this is also a thing for housemates and flatmates and, you know, people that you happen to be on the same floor of your halls with while you're at university. While you might not necessarily be friends with them if you were you know, meeting completely randomly, the fact that you are in close proximity does make a difference to that interaction. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and so I think that there's sort of like a gradient uh, of uh, different levels of, let's call it optionality. Let's call it social optionality. Social uh, optionality. Exactly. Why uh, don't you just call it social options? Why, like, why optionality? That sounds so pretentious. Um, social options... Well, social options is, optionality implies that it's sort of like a scale or something. I don't know. It feels like options is, it, it's not meant to be that kind of noun. It's meant to be a different kind of noun, you know? A more pretentious kind of uh, A more pretentious yeah. noun, exactly. Okay, fine. Um, and so there's different scenarios in which we have, we have a different level of like control over how much time we get to spend with someone. So I think, uh, uh, I'm not a huge fan of like networking-y kind of events where it's like people standing around um, sort of chatting over drinks and canapes and that kind of thing. Um, that, that, for example, would be like a very high optionality uh, setting. Wait, so can you explain what you mean by optionality? Okay, sorry. By optionality, I mean uh, the, the power to basically disengage from interacting with someone and just leave and start interacting with someone else. So for example, um, 
at a networking event or something, everyone's standing around talking over drinks. If you're talking to someone, you're not having a great time, you can very politely excuse yourself. Um, you, you don't really need, need an excuse actually, uh, and just go and talk to someone else. Whereas for example, family gathering, you know, you gotta do this, it's Christmas, whatever. You gotta hang out with your family for the next four hours. You can't just say, no, sorry guys, I'm, I'm leaving on Christmas, you know? Okay, so it's sort of the, the, the optionality. I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to find another word for this that doesn't sound as, as weird as optionality. Um, <laughs> basically, the ability to kind of have, having options in your, in your social interaction. So for example, um, a lot of people might say that if you're a really attractive girl, then you have a lot of options in, in terms of people talking to you at a bar. Whereas if you're less attractive, slash if you're a guy, you have fewer options. Is that kind of what you mean or not really? Um, less so. I think... Yeah, this is, I, th I think what I'm talking about is less sort of, okay, so let me tell you why I think there's something here. I think there's something here because I've actually found over the past sort of couple of years that in, in, in settings where there's not much optionality, where I'm almost forced to spend time with a group of people, I, I actually think that leads to much more fruitful relationships and much sort of deeper connections. Um, I think the, the issue with, uh, with high optionality situations like networking events and things like that uh, is that we're... I, I can only speak for myself here, but I think I tend to overweight the initial impression I have of someone. So for example, if I meet someone at, at this kind of event um, and we don't hit it off immediately, maybe there's a couple of red, red flags, then I, I will sort of mentally kind of disengage and find an excuse to leave. Um, whereas in, uh, in much low optionality settings, for example, if you're on holiday with a group of people, maybe you don't know them that well, the fact that you have to spend this extended period of time together, it means that even if your initial impression isn't that good, you're forced to, you know, you're forced to suck it up and, and carry on regardless. And I've actually found that in those settings, my, my initial impressions are very often wrong. Um, and so I've been thinking recently about how to get rid of this mindset in high optionality settings. So to stop having this mindset of, oh, the, uh, this initial impression isn't very good. I, I should just leave and start thinking more with the mindset of low optionality where it's like, you know, this is my fellow human being. There is some connection to be had here. Let's figure it out. Okay. Yeah, this makes sense. I think I definitely agree with that in sort of, uh, I might, I might think of a high social optionality situation as for example, we had our, uh, master's graduation stuff recently and that was sort of, we had, we had the drinks, the drinks reception. I'm never a fan of drink receptions because you get your schlur from the, from the bit at the front and you try and kind of, as you're on your way there, you're looking around to spot people that you already know. And then you're kind of having a chat and then you kind of join a group and snake your way in there. But then it was, it was quite nice because I was able to speak to people that I'd not seen for three years and we were talking, but I... I, th I could sense, and I think everyone, everyone, we all sort of knew that once you've gone past the initial, oh, hey, what are you doing? Where are you working? Blah, blah, blah. Then there's that moment of, okay, we could carry on this interaction, or we could both go and find our groups of friends that really we want to actually talk to. Exactly. There's the lull. Yeah, that was that. That was that lull, and in that lull, I was re I was really thinking that okay, right, I I, I need to leave. The, I need to I need, I need to disengage from this conversation because it's not really going anywhere. I would love to sit down and talk to this person if we had three hours on a desert island, but in this high social optionality event, I'm going to go and find my medic friends and just chill with them, really. Yeah, and I don't know, I don't know if we're just terrible people to have these thoughts. I hope we're not, but the, yeah, there's also like an element of FOMO, like oh, I'm sort of talking to this person. Maybe maybe I could be having a better time talking to, say, the people I already know or this other person who seems cool at this event. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, in a way, 
while, at least for me, and I think this is the case for you as well, like while, while interacting, there is somewhat of a calculation there as to what value you personally are deriving from this interaction, which sounds really, really, really bad. That sounds terrible. <laughs> that sounds absolutely terrible. Um, it's not, look, it's not, it's not a conscious thing. It's, yeah. well, <laughs> well, it's not a deliberate thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a deliberate thing. It does happen. I think, I think also there's an element of um, earlier, I think a few years ago, I was very much concerned about the value that I was providing to social interactions. Um, I was speaking to my friend Callum about this and he said that he, he does the same thing. And it, it was really nice having this conversation because we were like, oh my God, you're that you're weird in the same way. Yeah, and, and, and Callum's a great guy. So yeah. if he's doing it, then it's fine. <laughs> exactly, it must be totally <laughs> legit. But what he was saying, and, and definitely what I do is that when I'm chatting with someone who I don't necessarily know very well, I sort of have in my, like, and, and, and if I'm saying stuff, I sort of have in the back of my mind that, oh, I need to be entertaining here. I need to be providing value. And I want to exit this conversation before it gets to the point where I run out of things to say, because, you know, for some reason I, I, I was focused on, I was, I was very kind of inwardly focused on trying to please the other person by something that I was doing. I don't know if you, if yeah, you did this at all. Yeah, that, that's absolutely spot on. It's, it's not like, it's not, it's not just this anxiety of like, am I getting value out of it? And actually I think for me, it's more the opposite of like, Oh man, this is this doesn't feel like it's going well. The other person probably thinks I'm really boring. Yeah. We, we've got to end this now. <laughs> but that's right now. I'm gonna go to my friends and we'll just uh, yeah call it a day there. Yeah, so I think on on one end of the spectrum, there's like standing around uh, meet and greets to kind of drinks networking events. I think on the other end is more something along the lines of a group holiday. Um, yeah, so you've been on group holidays recently with some of quote my friends who are more traditionally my friends, but then you kind of tagged along with our group holiday. What was that? And for the record, you've not invited me to any of your friend holidays. I'll just have a, have everyone know about this. All right, I don't think that's strictly true. <laughs> I think I have I have made the invites, but you you said no. But yeah, I've I've been quite lucky in that you're, you're very kind. You've invited me on holiday with your friends a Thank couple you. of times now. Yeah, my friends are wonderful. Um, and I've also had the chance to go on sort of a random group holiday with a bunch of strangers uh, outside of that. Um, and that that is those holidays are actually what got me thinking about all of this. So I, I remember about a year and a year and a few months ago, it was around Christmas time, 2017. Uh, you and your friends were going to the Cotswolds to rent a cottage for a few days, a little walking holiday. That's all very wholesome. Isn't it? Uh, maybe like there was six, seven, eight people or something like that. Um, and so I tagged along to that. Um, and I was I was a little bit anxious going in because I I knew like a couple of the people, but I didn't know most of them. Um, I wasn't sure if I'd get on with them. So there was there was this whole thing. Also, I was like the only person on the trip that wasn't previously part of the, the friendship group. So I was like the only new guy on the trip. Also the only non-medic on that trip. Also the only non-medic yeah. on that trip. So on, on paper, there was, a, <laughs> there was a lot to worry about. Um, and, I th and yeah, one thing really struck me. Um, and that was that one, one of the girls on the trip, my initial impression of her was that we, we just wouldn't get on at all. Uh, I remember like when we met for the first time, I made some joke that she didn't quite get. Um, and then and then just sort of by pattern matching, she was very different to the kinds of people I'm normally friends with. Not like white or Asian male nerds uh, uh, is what yeah, you mean. Yeah, so she, okay. she wasn't a... Uh, <laughs> she was female for one. <laughs> she, she was female and she, she wasn't a mathematician. Yeah. Um, no, there was, there was a few other things. She was vegan, for example. I've, I've got nothing against vegans, but just not many of my friends tended to be vegan. Um, and so it almost seemed like a very different kind of person. And so there were like a few red flags that suggested, oh man, like we're not going to be friends. And so after this initial interaction, I was, I was kind of dreading the rest of the trip. I was thinking, oh man, we have to spend the next four days together. How on earth is this going to happen? Um, and the crazy thing was after like one day or something, um, 
yeah, after we spent a bit of time together, it turned out we had like a ton of stuff in common that there's no way I would have been able to predict. Um, and we just got on super well and she was amazing. And and by the end of the trip, yeah, I think I think we were good friends. Um, and yeah, I thought she was really, really cool. So my, my initial impression of her turned out to be like completely wrong. Um, so if that were a high social optionality event, i.e. a networking event or a party, God forbid, <laughs> you would have sort of lumped her in the category of, oh, th- these are people that I don't normally get along with. Therefore, I'm not even going to make an effort. But because you're forced to kind of make the effort, because in a group holiday, when you're walking in the Cotswolds with nothing else to do other than talk to each other, you're going to end up talking to every individual in that group for an extended period of time. And then you realize that actually, wow, we've got so much we can connect on. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think in, in, a, in a high optionality setting, I would have probably disengaged. I, d- I don't know what, what she felt about the in- initial interaction. That would actually be quite interesting. Oh, we can message about. her and ask her. Yeah, yeah we <laughs> can be like, hey, you should listen to this bit of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're talking about you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that would be interesting. Um, I, there was also another holiday. Uh, this this was when I went to North Korea with a, a group of complete strangers. Oh, I, you went to North Korea? What? <laughs> this is like literally everyone's reaction when you when you when you say North Korea. People are like, hang on, wait, North Korea? That's that sounds tough. Yeah, I actually wasn't aware about all of this when I signed up. Uh, my one of my friends, Mac, uh, he's really into North Korea and stuff. He's been like a bunch of times, and so he was going again this year with with like a group, and he invited me along. I didn't really know anything about the political situation. I thought, yeah, it sounds like a nice place to go for holiday. Um, <laughs> okay. Anyway, so we were sort of in Beijing having like a, a briefing meeting where we we all met each other in the group, uh, and we were kind of going over some various things before we crossed the border into North Korea. Uh, and one of the guys, um, he was sort of uh, a, a year or two younger than me. He was still a student. Um, and from the moment he opened his mouth, I started sort of uh, prejudging him, oh. prejudging what this person would be like. You are the worst sort of person. It, it, this sounds awful. I mean, I, I hope other people don't do this to the same extent that I used to because I wonder whether... Okay, hang on. Be. Wait, I just want to pick you up at this point. When you say prejudging, because... Like when I meet someone new, the judge, the quote judgment that I make of them tends to be more like, oh, I hope I'm entertaining enough to keep this person occupied as opposed to this person uh, sort of negatively judging that person. Is it is your judgment sort of like that? Where you worried about the value you can add to them or is it more like, a, oh, that's the sort of person. Oh, you know, th- th- that person's a jock. Therefore, we're never, never going to be friends. What's uh, it, it's it's a bit of both, actually. I, I don't think honestly, I don't think any of it is like, oh, this person isn't going to provide enough value to me. Okay. Um, I think maybe I'm just too, um, I don't know, self-conscious or whatever to, to think that way. Uh, maybe it's a self-esteem thing. Uh, I think it's probably 50-50 between oh, this person's like a jock. And so just by pattern matching, I don't think we'll get on. And also like, oh, this, you know, maybe for the same reason, this person seems like a jock. I don't know what value I can provide to him. Okay. And so there was this one guy on the trip where right from the start, he just, he said so many things that triggered the red flags in my head that there's okay. no way he and I can be friends. Which were? <laughs> uh, First of all, he he was like he was vegan as well, was he? <laughs> he he happened not to be vegan. Yeah, he was really into like sports and football and stuff. Oh, which, which is fine. Which is fine. <laughs> into sports and football. I bet he supported a football team as well, didn't he? <laughs> he probably supported a football team. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Um. And and but there's a certain kind of people who are like really into football, and I find that there's a lot of them talk in a certain way. This sounds awful. Talk in a certain way. What do you? Mean? Are you going like, to put on an accent now? <laughs> Sorry, are you going to put I'm on not, an accent? I'm not going to try and do an impression, but there are there's a certain kind of sp- 
sporty guy and there's a particular way they talk anyway he came across as a classic like football lad i remember in our first conversation he mentioned something about beer as well and so <laughs> okay so on paper it was like this is not the kind of person i'm normally friends with he enjoys football and he drinks beer <laughs> yeah that's not the sort of person you tend to know exactly yeah. yeah um and so once again i thought oh man 10 days with this guy how on earth are we going to do this um but a few days in basically like you said, everyone on the trip basically has to spend a bunch of time with one another because what else do you do? Um, and we really got on. We had like the same sense of humor. Um, we had a bunch of like, we didn't really have any shared tangible interests, but like a lot of the things we found funny and the, the ways that we thought were the same. Um, and we'd sort of sit together on the coach every day uh, on long coach journeys. Yeah, really cool guy. We're really, really close now. And we had a great time together. And I, I would not have been able to predict that. Um, and if this were an event, uh, a high optionality event, I, I definitely would have disengaged thinking there's no value I can provide to this person. Also, he's far too different from me. There's no way he can be friends. Chances are we wouldn't even end up at the same high optionality event. <laughs> well, because he drinks beer and enjoys football. Yeah, probably. And therefore, it's unlikely to be at your mathematical <laughs> mathematician meetings or whatever you guys do in your spare yeah, time. Safe to say, he doesn't go to hackathons. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, there's the, uh, what's that board game? Uh, Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> that's oh, that's no, the sort no, of stuff no. that you guys play? Absolutely not. In fairness, actually, I made some very good friends in my second year of university through playing Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, which, was, which was really wonderful. Because in my... Um, in first year, I, w I wasn't really close with my college friends. Uh, I tended to hang out with m mostly the Islamic society or the Pakistan society. And then in second year, I started getting into playing Yu-Gi-Oh with this like random group of, of people um, who I'd never really interacted with much before. And it was, it was really, really wonderful. So don't hate on Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> is the moral of the story. Yeah, no beef on that. Yu-Gi-Oh is great. Anyway, um, I know what you mean. I think this social optionality thing def definitely has legs. Um, one of the main sort of beauties of being a medical student i'm going to keep on going on about this medical student thing because it's literally all i know about uh, one of the one of, one of the nicest things about it is that after you do your preclinical years you then have your clinical years and in your clinical years you go on placements to random hospitals in the middle of nowhere so i went to like ipswich bedford kings lynn you know, like random towns in the english countryside uh, even some gp placements where it's just me and one or two other people and you're stuck there together for six weeks and this is the absolute perfect example of low social optionality when it's you and another girl sharing a cottage for six week on gp placement you have no choice but to try and connect on some kind of deep meaningful level and actually um the low social the, the low social optionality created by our very first placement in fourth year in ipswich this was in 2015 that group of people has become so have become some of my closest friends and that was the group that we ended up sort of forming this holiday to go to the Cotswolds that you then tagged along to ah uh, yeah 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 and this one have happened had it not been for the low social optionality and equally the one of the really nice things about oxford and cambridge is that you have the college system where you know in most normal universities you might be hanging out with you, you know you'd be going to lectures with 300 medical students um instead you've got your college where it might be just 10 medical students and therefore again you have this low social optionality where you pretty much have to be friends and it forces these connections to form and i'm a massive fan of forced interaction uh one of the main considerations for when i was deciding which hospital i was going to go to for my foundation years was Sort of based on this, but I didn't have the words to describe it. We uh, didn't, you didn't make up the words. I didn't, to I didn't make it. up the words. To, yeah, low social optionality. It was because when you're in a random, when you're in a random hospital, let's say Ipswich, where you know it's you know, at least an hour away from London, it's miles away from civilization. Um, 
it's it's really nice because all of the doctors are living together in the hospital accommodation and they have nothing to do other than interact with one another. And therefore you have loads of board games nights, you have movie nights, you have pizza nights, badminton, you know, everyone does stuff together and that's really, really nice. Whereas what I've heard from London hospitals is because everyone lives in London and you know you might be traveling an hour by tube and everyone's got their existing social network in London, doctors don't really hang out with each other after work because you've got the option to hang out with your quote, real friends. And that was a big, a really big um, issue that I had at the top of my mind when, when deciding where to go on placements. Yeah, that actually sounds like the dream. I remember when you were sort of doing all this clinical school stuff and going on placements and things, I was super jealous of that because in my head, that was like low social optionality situation after low social optionality. Yeah, after, yeah it, was, it was like, yeah, I, I don't know what more you could it ask was for. Absolutely. It, it, it was sort of like going on, going on a school trip with, that, with, that, with a group of four people and you kind of get, you, you like get your accommodation keys, you discover your accommodation, you discover that, oh my God, we're all living in the same place except the one girl in our group is a flat across the road. Oh, if that's okay, you can come visit us. And you go to your shopping trip to Aldi on the Tuesday evening and then you get your poppadums and eat them along the way. And then you kind of watch Stranger Things in the Doctor's Mess, play board games. It was super, super nice. And I think a big part of that was the low social optionality. I think I might go and study graduate medicine just, I think you just for that. Purely for that experience. Yeah. I think like, like, like genuinely, this, this, this is one of the main reasons why I preach to everyone how amazing it is to study medicine. That even if you don't want to be a doctor, don't say this at your interviews, even if you don't want to be a doctor, just having that experience of five or six years of med school where you have the opportunity to have these sorts of interactions and make these sorts of friends is something I don't really think you get with any other, any other degree. Yeah, that sounds great, actually. Um, I'll send in my application this year. Nice. Uh, so there's a couple of things I want to explore here. One is, one thing I may be worried about is, may, I worry that maybe I, f maybe I feel this way because deep down I have really low self-esteem and don't think I can provide enough value to other people unless they're forced to spend time with me. And so I worry mm. that maybe I'm more comfortable, maybe I, 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 I like low optionality situations because... Yeah, it kind of forces the other person to, yeah, talk to, to, you. <laughs> to, to talk to me, um, and hopefully, eventually, we'll get on. Whereas maybe I don't feel like I can convince other people of my value or something in a very short amount of time. I know what you mean. I think I have a very similar similar feeling. This is sort of the the feeling that uh, Callum and I were were talking about a few years ago when when you're at a party and you want to cut the interaction short because you don't want to give the other person an opportunity to get bored by that social interaction. I feel like this is a problem that, that a lot of people have. Like, it's... Uh, I remember at, at one point a few years ago, I was reading this thing about how how people in general get, like, hate going to networking events. And I was like, no way! Other people hate networking <laughs> events as well? What yeah. the hell? <laughs> Amazing. And then, and then I started talking to a few friends about this. Like, how do you really feel about house parties? And so many people had this thing of the like, oh, actually... Yeah, I, I kind of prefer it if it's just kind of four or five of us just having dinner and playing playing board games because, you know, it's just more comfortable. I think there's something inherently uncomfortable about the house party situation, the networking situation where you have to, in a way, where you feel like you're having to sell your value in a very short amount of time. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the house party thing. I think I'm much, I think like the ideal sort of temporary, like like short time period group setting would be like a dinner where everyone is at the same table. There's no running away. Crucially, they can't run away from you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and everyone has, you know, they know, you know you have to spend the next four or five hours with these people. Um, and so everyone sort of has to make an effort to connect with one another. I think that's really nice. Um, and one, yeah, actually, I think, I think meeting people in that context is actually 
Um, I, f- I found it to be really good. When I was uh, living in San Francisco last year, we for a few weeks, we had this sort of tradition where every week we'd sort of host a dinner party at our house. Um, and each of us would have to invite someone new to the party that the, the rest of the people didn't know. Um, and so there were three or four of us. And then we'd invite three or four guests. Um, and the fact that there was, there was already some existing connections um, based on who invited whom. Um, and that kind of laid the groundwork for the social fabric almost. Um, and I think once you have a bit of like social fabric already, it's a really good starting point for other people to come um, and sort of sew themselves onto the fabric or whatever. This sounds like a like a, like a really solid thing. I, re- I remember the first time you told me about this. I was super jealous. <laughs> I was like, damn, why, why are me and my friends not doing this at Cambridge? Because we just hang out with each other. And there are so few opportunities to get new people into the mix. And actually, th- this is this is something that I've started to recently do where I try and actively bring different groups of friends together. So earlier today, uh, you and I were having dinner with, you know, we got Catherine over, who's kind of one of one of my medic friends, who you also know. We had Duranka from school. We had Sam, who's part of my like Pakistan society friends from university. These are these are three groups that don't really have much overlap at all, and yet. You know, there were these, there were five of us, and actually, well, one of my friends, Hassan from the Islamic Society, as well, you know, which definitely has no overlap with my medic friends, or you know, yeah. um, it, it 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 was nice, and every everyone kind of got on, and I suppose if you know to bring this brings it back to me for a moment, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm friends with five different people from five five different groups, and those people get to meet one another, chances are they're going to get on as well because. You know, if they're the sort of people who can tolerate me, then they'll have, you know, there'll be some kind of personality match between each other as well. So I think that's a really valuable thing that I at least want to try more of. Yeah, I I think one of the other really good things about that kind of setup um, is that you're, you're not sort of meeting people as a blank slate. You already have the social proof of being friends with one of their other friends. And so it's it's almost as if you're, I mean, it sounds terrible to have to say this, but it's almost as if you're inherently valuable as a human being in that <laughs> setting. Um, and this is awful because obviously everyone everyone is inherently valuable as human beings. And, and yeah, I don't like this mindset, but if I'm in a setting where, let's say I'm at a party with like, or, or a dinner with like eight people, and I don't know any, I know just one of the people there, I will be less comfortable than if I know like four or five of the people there, you know? Sure. Um, so if I, if I sort of know more people, it's, it's almost like I have less to prove and I can sort of quickly go into being comfortable and being myself and having like really okay. authentic interaction. Yeah, rather than having to sell, sell yourself or, you know, entertain or whatever kind of metric of value adding to this social situation that you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that made me think of something. What was it? What did that make me think of? Um, oh, yeah. So the point you made about social proof, I think I, th- I think that's really important as well to as almost a thing to keep in the back of our minds as to why we value certain types of social interaction. So, for example, when I go to an Islamic society event or a, you know, a society with which I, I identify to whatever degree event, I feel inherently more comfortable because everyone is there every, we've got that social proof that we're all there because we have this thing in common yeah. sort of like being a dinner where you where you have friends equally you went to church the other day for a, a quiz night can you talk a bit about what that was like because i think you had some interesting thoughts about that 
Yeah, that was super nice, actually. Uh, an old friend of mine from university invited us to a quiz night at his local church. Uh, this is some random church in London. I've never really been there. It wasn't really a studenty thing. Uh, we had like a, a table of us. We were like five, five or six people. And there was all sorts of people there. It was like random people from the community. There was some like parents there with their kids, a table of like really old people, table of like middle-aged people. Yeah, all sorts of people, not the kind of people I'd usually sort of spend time with. Uh, and obviously like I'm not, I'm not a Christian. So ch a church isn't typically the kind of setting where I'd feel like, I mean, I wouldn't feel uncomfortable there, but like, <laughs> it's it's not the first place I'd go. It's like being, being in a church with people who drink beer and like football. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it might even be vegan. <laughs> God, imagine that. Yeah. I, I don't know what I'd do in that situation. Um, but but I was there with this friend of mine, this Christian guy, and a few of our other friends who I knew quite well. Um, and, and I felt super comfortable immediately because like, I was really close to this guy at university. We spent two years sharing a room uh, and we're really good friends. And so I, 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 yeah, I felt very comfortable in that situation because I sort of had this social proof of like, almost like, oh, I'm with him, you yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> He's my guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, which is which is strange, and I, I wish I didn't have to have that to be to be like really comfortable in a situation because I, I find that I find that once I'm once I'm like comfortable to be myself, then I haven't had that many situations where it's gone badly. Uh, I think like. Yeah, I think usually when people are being sort of their authentic selves and are comfortable with one another, I, I don't really see how two people can't really get on once once you've reached that point. But I think breaking past the initial stage of like being slightly uncomfortable because you don't know this person, you're worried about like what value you're providing, et cetera, et cetera. In, in that stage, I think people act, don't act themselves. Hmm. And, and if any interaction turns sour, it's probably because of that because they're not actually being comfortable in being themselves. On that note, I read something recently which changed my view of the dating game. <laughs> so I, I, I can't remember where I found this. I think it might have been in a Charisma on Command YouTube video. That's a really great channel, by the way. Uh, I've been following the guy, Charlie Hooper, whatever the name is, who, who runs it for absolutely years and years now. And I bought his book back when it was called Kick Assery, which was in like 2011 or something, because at the time I was like, you know what? I want to try and learn some social skills. <laughs> um, and I made the mistake actually of, of mentioning this to some, some, some of my friends. And it tended to be the girls that I mentioned this to who were like, whoa, what, what, what the hell are you doing? You know, who needs to read about social skills? You know, you can just practice. It's, it's natural, blah, blah, blah. Whereas my guy friends were a bit more like, oh, okay, cool. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, hmm. Yes. Anyway, what, what was I talking about? Yeah. In this, in this video, he was, uh, he was talking about kind of tips for tips for first dates or something along those lines. So obviously I clicked on it, came up in my recommended, uh, in my subscription box, dropped it a cheeky like, all that stuff. Nice. Uh, tips for first dates. And his, his, his main point was that like often we think of dating as a way of m trying to convince someone to become interested in us mm. in a way. Whereas his thing was more that if you consider dating instead as just trying to work out whether you and this other person, you know, connect when you're fully being yourselves, then it takes so much pressure off it. It means you're not trying to be someone else. It means you're not trying to impress. You're literally being your weird, authentic self. And if they like it, then great. And if they don't, then fantastic. You just saved everyone a lot of time. And that was something that, even though I've read so much about dating and, and things like that, I just hadn't really internalized that idea. I was in a way considered, you know, I, tr I tried going on a Tinder date once uh, just before just before Christmas. Lad. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> Check me out. Um, and that that was really fun, but I, I felt at least for the first half of it, I was I I, I had the script running through my head of, of being like sort of actively tracking the various conversational topics and being oh. like, okay, I could ask about this, 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 and this, 
And then after about, you know, half an hour, an hour into it, I just kind of became much more comfortable and was fully okay with being my authentic weird self because I was like, actually, you know what? I'm not trying to get this person to like me. I'm just trying to be myself and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I think having, having this sort of background thread in your mind of like, uh, yeah, keeping track of all the possible avenues that you could lead, lead the conversation and things like that, that. That's something I sort of tend to do as well at the start when I'm like worried about how things are going. Um, and one, once, you, once you're not thinking about it, it's, it's almost like entering a flow state. Like pe- people who uh, do sports or do any kind of like creative work often describe this flow state where you're just like doing stuff. You're not like actively thinking about it. Um, and I think once you enter that in a social interaction, once you don't have this like background thread running, like analyzing what's going on and, and trying to optimize things, then that's a really nice place to be. Um, and actually, I, I think there's something there's something profound about the lull that you described earlier. Like when you meet someone new, you know, you know, you're fine for like the first five minutes. You talk about like, you know, book work stuff. Oh, how's work? You know, how's school? This, this and that. And then there's the lull. And I think I think facing the lull head on is actually the way to go. Because I think once once you both face the lull together and get past it together, yeah. then then I feel like, yeah, any any discussion after the lull is just much more natural and it's it's like much more candid. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's like all right, we've got we, we've got all the foreplay out of the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> Let's Let, get down to it. Let's now. get down to business. Yeah, <laughs> and then you can just kind of be yourself and be comfortable or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, let's summarize what we talked about so far. So you introduced the idea of optionality as as a concept um defined as you know having having the oh, i don't know how how, how, do, how do you define yeah ha- having the ability to disengage from a particular social interaction so there's high optionality when you can pretty much leave and go talk to someone else and there's low optionality when you're forced to stay and interact with someone so somewhere because it's, it's a scale somewhere from kind of uh, networking event where there, where there are 5,000 other people that you can literally just walk away and never see someone ever again to all the way to being stranded on desert island with someone where you, literally they are the only, you know, human interaction you have for the next few months of your life. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we talked about how in a high social optionality situations, it's very easy to immediately pattern match people. For example, this guy is... Uh, a guy and he likes beer and he he play, plays football. Therefore, I'm never going to get up with him. Cool, I'll go hang out with someone else. But actually, if you give it a bit more time, there's, there's a lot of magic that can form out of this connection. Um, and I suppose then the question is, how do we act in a way? How, how do we act in a low optionality way in high optionality situations? Exactly. That's the dilemma. That's it. Okay. <laughs> hmm. Okay. The, the part of the issue here, I think, and part of what makes it difficult is... I'm not sure what rules other people are playing by. I'm not sure what their mental model for this is. Maybe they're not like me. Maybe they, they don't they don't think in terms of like, oh, am I providing enough value to this other person? Maybe they're just having a candid interaction right from the start. Um, and in that case, things are great. But it, it's like a two-player game, right? Like even, even if I have the mindset of like, oh, you know, we are two human beings on this planet. I'm sure there is something we can connect on. I'm I'm not interested in, in trying to optimize for finding the person at this event who I will click the most quickly with. I'm not, I don't care about that. I want to connect with this person right in front of me. Even if I have that mindset, it doesn't guarantee that the other person does. And so there is still something to be worried about, which is that you're not giving them enough value, right? Uh, yeah. There's no I, winning. I think that's that's the ultimate problem with this with social interaction in general that it's it's a two-player game but you have no idea what the other person is thinking yeah and you have to infer what the other person is thinking from all sorts of micro expressions or or whatever or you just do it naturally as my female friends would like to say and stop overthinking it really (laughs) um i think 
I've heard that one tactic to not become paralyzed by this sort of thing is to loosen the filter, the inherent filter we have in our minds where we ask ourselves before saying anything, is what I have to say next currently interesting? Yeah. And obviously, you know, we have some sort of filter, like don't like openly, you know, be inappropriate or mean or rude to someone. But beyond that, most of what we have to say that's interesting is probably, would probably get get filtered out by that filter where we're like, oh, maybe the other person wouldn't be interested in this. So one thing that I've occasionally experimented with is like, you know, sometimes if I'm at a party or something where everyone is drunk and I'm not drinking and I'm thinking, okay, why don't I just act as if I were like one of these guys and not having any inhibitions and I just kind of start chatting whatever whatever breeze I want to be spouting out of my urethra. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And Thank you. Um, and I find that that's actually really fun and I feel more relaxed. And I, f- I feel like it becomes sort of a game. So I wonder if maybe viewing these social interactions as a game in a way where you're just trying to try it's, it's a, ga- a game you're playing with yourself where you're trying trying not to let that filter get in the way of what you're going to say and then, and then just hope that the magic flow is connecting you yeah i th- i think this is actually super related to what we were talking about in the last episode about just caring less so like in in the example you just gave where everyone else is drunk and and you're sort of pretending you know, that you're in the same kind of mode of thinking or whatever it sounds like in that situation, you just care less because, you know, these people are slightly tipsy. They're not going to be like watching your every word and like analyzing it or anything. Mm. They might not even remember the interaction. And so you can sort of loosen up and know that there won't be, uh, you know, any, any serious consequences, hopefully. Um, and so, and actually, when I think about it, there have been a few situations where it's a social interaction, but I do just care less. Uh, I think, I think it's, it, that's partly why I'm sort of more comfortable when I know more people at an event um, because the social proof almost is like a, almost like a safety net. Like if, if you sort of have that social proof, then let's say you say something that could be interpreted in a negative way. Mm. The fact that the social proof is there means that chances are the person will interpret it in a much more charitable way. And so you can afford to care a bit less about what you're saying because you know you're sort of you know you're all friends, you know you're in good company. Um, and so I, th- I think, yeah, a lot of it just comes down to caring less. Um, and when I think about the people who I've met, who I've found like really charismatic, those people don't uh, don't seem to care at all. Um, yeah, there was a guy, I, I went on a another random trip with a group of people from university uh, once, and one of the guys, like super charismatic guy, everyone really liked him, really funny, everyone really got on with him. Um, he just, he said a lot of stuff. He said a lot of stupid stuff. He, he just didn't really care what he said. And so he came across as like this really authentic guy. Um, and immediately I sort of felt very comfortable with him. Um, and it was just great from the start. Whereas if it feels like the other person is sort of, uh, watching you or it's probably in your head. And if in your head, you think the other person is like watching your every move, then it sort of makes you care more. So I, I suppose what we're saying is, uh, this is, I've I've been thinking about this for for a few weeks now because um, I I write this weekly email where I give sort of some sort of some snippets of life advice every week. It's on on issue fifty now actually. You can find it at email.aliabdal.com. Quick plug. Um, and I found that a lot of the things that I say tend to converge on a few cliches. Yeah. And what this 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 sounds a lot like you know the the cliche of don't care what the people think, but also that classic quote of we'd care a lot less what other people think when we realize how seldom they actually think about us. Like I imagine when we're interacting with people, no one is really analyzing our words and no one really cares what we have to say that much. And yet we think that they do. 
And that is what holds us back in social interactions. Yeah, and chances are, they're, I mean, I, they're, they're probably analyzing their own words and thinking, oh, how am I coming across in this scenario? So yeah. they're not really thinking about you at all. <laughs> so this is where we need the uh, third party perspective. So um, if you have any thoughts on this matter, then please do write into us. Uh, we intend to, I think, put some of the responses up on the podcast website at notoverthinking.com and we might discuss some of them at, at, at a later episode. I think actually it would be cool to do an episode where we just kind of chat through comments that people have have sent in in previous episodes. So maybe every multiple of five, <laughs> we'll do like a, a quick review, um, kind of summarizing what we talked about and then the things people have said and, and, our, and our thoughts of those. I think that might be nice. But also I think this goes to show that having a third party here to double check our thinking on this would actually be quite helpful. Yeah, it feels like we reach this conclusion every single episode and yet here we are, just the two of us. Yeah, and in fairness, you know, it's a random Thursday night. It's like, what is it? A half past 11 at night. You know, who are we going to find who can just come <laughs> and hang out with us at short notice? If only they, they had low optionality in this scenario. <laughs> exactly. Oh, we need to force people to do that. Um, yeah. Do we have any 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 more points? I, I'd like to make one one sort of final point. Oh, you would, would you? All right. <laughs> um, if, if you don't mind. By all uh, means. If that's all right. Which is that I think random group holidays with people you don't really know are amazing. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I was going to say this. <laughs> Sorry, you, you make your point and then I'll make one. All right. <laughs> right. Fit. Thank you. <laughs> So I I've I've I think I've been super lucky over the past few years. I had I have had like a few situations like this. I had one at university, um, which was like ten or eleven of us. Uh, none of us really knew each other well beforehand. Where'd you uh, go this time? We went to uh, the Bay Area. We went to Silicon Valley for Silicon about ten Valley. days. We sort of rented a big house there, uh, visited a bunch of companies and things, and just hung out and really bonded. Um, and that was that was super nice. And I ended up sort of meeting and hanging out with the people from around the university who I probably wouldn't have met otherwise uh, and sort of, sort of quite different people and then I've been now been on like two holidays with you and your friends for like a few days again not not the kind of people I typically hang out with necessarily uh, and then the trip to North Korea um, and so I, I think ju- just by chance I've been really lucky to do this but it's it seems like there there are definitely people who do this deliberately in their lives. Like there's loads of organizations, there's loads of groups that organize group holidays for basically complete strangers to go and do some shared thing. Um, I don't think it's really a mainstream thing right now. Uh, I think like if if you told someone, oh yeah, I'm going on a random holiday with a bunch of people I don't know to North Korea or wherever else, they probably think you're a bit weird. Like why, why does this person need to go on holiday with random people? <laughs> don't you have any friends or yeah, that kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. um, but I, yeah, I, I think this should definitely be more of a mainstream thing. And actually, I think one thing I've noticed is that even with my own friends who I do know well, I think spending time together on a holiday is far more meaningful than spending time together over dinner and stuff. So that there are friends who I meet every one or two weeks for dinner for like a few hours. And it's good fun. Um, but like going going on one sort of long weekend getaway with these people, uh, as I've done with in the past, is far more meaningful and far more valuable, I think, than like, you know, seven or eight two to three hour dinners um i think i think a lot a lot of it just comes down to the low social optionality like you're forced to spend time with them you're forced to get past the lulls um and i think what yeah once you're past the lulls that's when the real magic happens once once you're doing nothing together with other people that's when the real magic happens that's where that's how connections are made oh man that's that's actually profound uh i've got i've got a few points to uh to, to comment on firstly uh that's pretty solid signaling so uh you know uh, the, the, there was a group of friends i went to the bay area silicon valley with and then i went to north korea then i went to the cotswolds with your friends and all right okay. and, and then we complain when we get these these comments being like it's just these two rich kids chatting <laughs> so well done for that signaling point number one uh point number two is yeah i think this idea of 
group holidays where is is just absolutely incredible um there was there's a group of people on the internet uh the financial independence early retirement community that i i recently well not recently a few years ago started to really get into people like mr money mustache and there's loads of bloggers on the internet that talk about who have, who have this shared vision of um being able to save loads of money by being very frugal and you know investing in index funds of the stock market and making so much money by the time you're 30 that you can just retire and then work becomes optional for you anyway there's this whole community and and what they've started doing is that every year they run a couple of different retreats where they might go to Portugal for a week or they might go to Spain for a week. And people from all around the world, like 10 to 15 people get together for this thing where you're connecting with other like-minded people who are, the only thing you have in common is this shared interest of financial independence. And apparently, and like I was looking through the reviews of these and people have been saying that there's been life-changing trips, absolutely changed their life and they've made like lifelong friends. And this is the prime example of low social optionality where you already have some thread that is tying you together. Yeah. Because I imagine if you got 15 random people from the, from the world who just spoke English, for example, and got them together, it might be less good than if you had one, one shared, in, shared thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the third point was, given that we want to be more, more systematic with this thing, why don't, why don't we do it? Like, how hard would it be if you and I just like posted on our Instagrams and said, hey, look, we're thinking of doing a trip to the Lake District. Anyone from the UK over the age of 18, <laughs> crucially over the age of 18, if you want to come on this trip, drop us a DM. We'll get a random group of people from different parts of the UK together. We'll go to the bloody Lake District for like three days for a long weekend, book out an Airbnb. It'll cost, I don't know, a few tens of pounds when we when we sort of maybe like 30, 40 quid between you know, each once we've, once we've done all the costs. And we just go for a little hike during the day. Maybe we, exam time is coming up. We all have work to be doing. Do a little bit of revision in the afternoon, play some board games in the evening. I think that'll be really sick. This actually sounds incredible. I don't know why we haven't thought about this before. This would be really, really cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to do it. Um, <laughs> let's try and do that. Yeah. Let's try and do that. So if you're listening to this right now and you live in the UK slash you can travel to the UK and you're over the age of 18 and you want to come with us to a group holiday where random people get together and go to like the Lake District or Cornwall or something, uh, drop us an email, hi at notoverthinking.com and say that you're interested and we'll add all the emails to a list uh, and we'll just send out an email when we have more information about this. I'll also post about it on my Instagram story and my email newsletter. You can do the same on your email newsletter. I think... I think this I think this idea has legs. Yeah, this this is really cool. I I I don't really know of it being done before in quite this kind of way. Oh, as in like two random rich kids. <laughs> to, well, yeah, two random kids inviting strangers on the internet to go on holiday. Yeah. Um but yeah, it sounds really really good. I think we I think this is something we should definitely do. And and like this is quite a weird thing. Chances are you, you don't want to come on holiday with us. Yeah, I don't fine. blame you. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, I think you should definitely try and organize group holidays with your own friends. It's, uh, yeah, m money can be an issue, sure. But sort of amongst like four or five people, once you spread the cost of like a long weekend thing, it's pretty doable to do it like once in a while or, or definitely more often than most people do. Mm. And I think that's where like some of my fondest social interactions have come from yeah i agree and i think actually one of the one of the best things that this group of friends who we who we, 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 yeah, who we went to the cotswolds with um one of the greatest things that we've done is that every in, in each four month placement of all of us being doctors we have systematically organized a group holiday where we're like at the start of the placement we're like right guys everyone get out your rotors let's fill out a doodle poll let's find a weekend where you know most of us can make it and we'll make something happen and i think that's been a really valuable thing to do so should we wrap this up Let's do it. Uh, so we, we talked about this last episode, and I think in the first episode, it would be nice to have like a finishing segment so we don't just sort of tail off at the end after regurgitating a bunch of stuff um, about some random topic. We had a suggestion from a listener this week 
of like an insight of the week. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago about maybe having like a funny thing that I saw this week. Mm. Um, let's let's go for a funny thing this week. A funny thing this week. Let's go for a funny thing. Okay, off to you while I think of it. <laughs> uh, I, I was hoping to toss that onto you while I thought of it. Um, let me do insight of the week because that's something that I, act- I actively think about because I have to write an email newsletter every Sunday and have to give, give people an insight. Um, I was listening to the Neil Gaiman interview with Tim Ferriss on the Tim Ferriss Show podcast uh, in the car with my mum today while we were going to Ikea. Uh, and he was talking about how he enjoys, he, he he writes on a physical notebook when he's writing stuff with a fountain pen uh, for various reasons. But one of those reasons was that it makes him uh, appreciate, it, it, it makes him internalize the idea that the first draft is just a first draft that no one's going to see because no one's going to see the fountain pen notes and he can then just type it up into the computer. So this is something that I've personally been thinking, been thinking of experimenting with. I might just find a random notebook slash it's a good excuse to then buy myself a fancy notebook and a pen. And in the mornings with my cup of coffee, instead of getting out my iPad Pro and trying to type something up, uh, instead I'll just kind of write something with a fountain pen in this book. That's a random insight that I discovered this week. Hopefully while I've been chatting Breeze over there, you've been thinking of something funny you found out. Yeah, this thanks week. for that. Uh, this, isn't, right. th- this is sort of funny, not in maybe a laugh out loud way, and it's very linked to social opportunity. Uh, it's a short story. Last weekend on Saturday, you and I were going to London we were getting the train from St. Albans to London. Uh, it was super packed. There was loads of Brexit marches going on. Uh, and so loads of people were on this train. Uh, it was packed like sardines in a can. No one could move at all. Um, and the vibe was really nice. Uh, whereas no- normally on the underground and stuff, when it's packed, the, vi- the vibe is very negative. It's almost like people don't want extra people to get on the yeah. train. Uh, everyone's like uncomfortable with other people being in their space. Uh, but for some reason, maybe it was the weekend, maybe it was the Brexit march spirit. Everyone was really happy with the vibe. And, and actually even though I was sort of squished up against random people, that was one of the nicer train rides I've had. The, the best part was there were two people behind me who were talking throughout the whole thing. They were talking about just like random stuff. I thought they were part of the same group. I thought, oh, these, are, these guys are just like friends who are going to London together. Uh, it was a guy and a girl. And at the end of the journey, when we were getting off at St. Pancras International, the guy said to the girl, oh, this has been really nice. What's your name, by the way? And I realized that these, these guys, they'd been talking for the whole train journey, like 20, 25 minutes or something. And they didn't even know each other beforehand. It was a low social optionality situation. They were stuck in this train facing each other. They couldn't really move. Um, and they just had like a really pleasant conversation. I was listening in throughout the whole ride, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Um, and it was just about random stuff. It, it was none of the kind of uh, stuff about signaling value, like, oh, what do you do? Where do you work? This kind of thing. It was just like, it was, they were just talking about basically nothing for 25 minutes. It was like the purest human connection <laughs> I've had the chance to witness. Um, it, it was amazing. Honestly, I, I was so, so happy after seeing that. Um, and I'd like to get better at sort of having those kind of pure human to human connections about nothing in particular. Okay. So you'd like to get better at small talk is what you're saying? In a sense, but we should we should explore that. I think we should explore that because I think small talk gets given a, a bad rep and everyone wants to move past small talk. But we'll talk about that in the next episode of, well, not in the next episode. At some point, we'll, we'll, we'll make a list on our Notion notebook mm. and uh, and do that. So yeah, um, if please do feel free to write into us. Please actively write into us, uh, hi at notoverthinking.com if you have any thoughts about this optionality stuff. What do you do when you're in a social interaction? Do you actively try and think about how you can add value or do you just not really overthink it and just kind of be yourself also if you might be interested in the idea of going on holiday with us to do like you know a trip somewhere in the uk let us know and we'll we'll make it happen thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next episode great thanks a lot